Mom says, Rover's days are through. She's going to throw him in the stew. Dead puppies aren't much fun. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on Ray. You're listening to Crush on Radio, a weekly podcast about being a music fan and all that entails. Your hosts are Richard J. Anderson, Andrew Marvin, and Matt Keeley, who talk about what they love, what they don't, and most importantly, why. And I'm Richard J. Anderson, and if you'll introduce yourselves. I'm, uh, Go ahead, Matt. Okay, I'm Matt Keeley of com, And my name is Andrew Marvin of Quarter Life Enlightenment. And... This is our first episode, if you can't guess. Basically, normally we would start out each episode with uh, talking about some stuff that's new to us and new to you, but because this is our first episode, I figured we'd introduce ourselves and talk a little bit about what made us music fans. Well, actually, it wasn't my idea. I think well, this was Andrew's idea, wasn't it? The, the, the it was a brilliant idea, idea. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's beside the point. <laughs> I think it's a dumb idea, but we're going to do it anyway. All right, off to a good start here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're out of this. You're you're you're, you're fired. <laughs> wah, wah. Speaking for myself, um, I guess I'll take the lead on this. Uh, I was raised on, I guess, classic rock and roll. The, you know, the stuff from the '70s, '60s, and the '70s. And I was in the car with my dad. We'd always have on uh, WMMR, um, the local one of the two Philadelphia rock stations. The other one being. WYSP, who I will not link to for, uh, because I don't like them. Is that a good enough reason? I think so. But I think this is probably, I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess and say this is something for all of us. It, it, it was in high school we began to develop our musical identities, right? Pretty much, Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I can actually, I actually can pinpoint the exact moment, uh, the next, the exact night or early morning when I became a music fan of my own volition. And it was the morning of uh, March 19th, 2000. And you'll find links to uh, some stuff about this in the show notes. I was watching, I managed to luckily catch a rerun of of an episode of Saturday Night Live from 1978 featuring what would become my absolutely most all-time favorite band, Devo. And this was just sheer luck. It just had to be up at the right time. And just seeing this performance, the uh, again, I was raised on classic rock and roll. The first thing they did was a cover of "I Can't Get No Satisfaction," and I know Matt's heard that. Have you heard that one, Andrew? The cover? Yeah. Or the original? I have not heard the cover. The cover is there. will be a link to that in the show notes. Uh, remark just this complete deconstruction of the song, and it felt I don't know what it did. It just clicked with me that this was something. I didn't know you could do that to to uh, the Rolling Stones. I honestly did not know you could do that. And it just spiraled out of control from there. Uh, I was actually just re-watching this uh, performance just before we started the show. Had to kill some time. And 
I've, I don't know how many times I've watched it, but it still has that same impact. Uh, I'm seeing something I've never seen before, hearing something I've never heard before. And from there on out, just sort of spiraled out of control, list, uh, both becoming a ridiculously hardcore Devo fan. And I think the first step was just bands that were similar to that. Talking Heads were a band I was into before I got into Devo. Uh, in fact, one of the first albums I ever bought for myself was Speaking in Tongues. Uh, they Might Be Giants. Uh, through Devo, I accidentally discovered King Missile. We do it on mislabeled MP3. We could do a whole show on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even fallen into the trading bootleg recordings of them. I, I help run a website, which is sort of in limbo right now, called Boogie Boy's Basement, which uh, specializes in uh, archival recordings of the band, demos, live concerts, this, that, the next thing. And it's a, from there, and it's almost hard to explain it. It's sort of a fractal, out of control fractal of just, I've discovered this, I've discovered that, but it all has its roots in suddenly becoming, discovering this one band, this one thing that utterly ruined me in the best possible yeah. way. So That's I think awesome. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So I think I just took up the last uh, hour of the show. Who wants to take uh, over the next one? <laughs> maybe because maybe, maybe, that's actually kind of a, a similar thing of, you know, that band that ruins you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there has I to mean, be one. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of had that same thing. I mean, because like, like growing up, you know, it's like I, kind of like you, like, you know, in the car, it was usually um, – Oh, uh, it was uh, Magic 108 was the um, station uh, for me, which is now uh, KNDD The End, which is a, I, I don't know if it's, I know for a while it was kind of a national known, but I don't think, I think it's kind of slipped back into national anonymity because it, but it's just a um, alternative station now. But it, it used to be one of the, you know, the best of the 60s, 70s and today, which today was, you know, the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm old. <laughs> but, um, so I, I would listen to that, and I remember, like, it was weird because a lot of the stuff that I like now, I would hear, but it would, like, like the arrhythmics, for example, when I was four or five, you know, whatever, they really creeped me out. Well, that makes now, perfect sense. Yeah, now I actually go, like, you know, cause like for, so for a long time, I just had like kind of like internalized those feelings of like, you know, oh man, the arithmetics suck, you know, and then I actually started listening to them again now that I'm older. And I was like, actually, the arithmetics are actually pretty cool. <laughs> but for me, the, the, the band that kind of put me at least poised was uh, Weird Al. I, um, I was in an um, elementary school choir and we would sing Eat It. And and I actually remember some of the the, the, the the vague dance thingies that they would have us do for that. But um but it was like I was like, This is really funny. Who is this? Who's this like guy who does it? And my mom goes, Oh, that's this guy named Weird Al Yankovic. I was like, Oh wow, that, that's so cool. And around that time I like I was watching um Nick Rocks, which uh would play the hell out of fat and um like Eat it to a lesser extent. Uh, to a lesser extent, I remember seeing um, "Living with a Hernia," but like "Fat" was in like very high rotation. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, the other thing that I really remember that was in really high rotation was "Don't Let Start" by They Might Be Giants. 
and which is another band that I ended up loving. But I, at the time, I was I just kind of like those guys who you know they had an accordion and they they blew it up, which was kind of weird. But like they had this weird old guy on like these heads dancing back and forth, and all the whole thing kind of puzzled and intrigued me. And the music was like the music was like I I was like yeah this is pretty good like I didn't really outside of Weird Al at the time I wasn't really buying records and I mean I I wasn't really buying them with my own money either because I was you know eight <laughs> and, and you know not a lot of eight year olds have a lot of bank but um, so Weird Al was that and that was for the longest time and then I ended up you know falling in love for real with They Might Be Giants in about. 93 I want to say so I was about 13 give or take and that just like was it for me and I just ended up listening to nothing but Weird Al and They Might Be Giants I'm I'm, I I, I am a complete nerd I I embrace this (laughs) as well you should as well you should yes we all do yeah, I mean, I, I love that it's like such the like prototypical like geek childhood <laughs> but um, so I would listen to that like I, I had like cassette dubs of Flood, uh, Lincoln and Apollo 18 that I would just like practically wear out the, the cassette on. I would like listen to them all at least once a day and like eventually though I kind of started you know hearing about like other bands that they liked but it wasn't like sort of enough to like I so I remember like kind of like putting like sort of initial tendrils out into like you know XTC records say you know and kind of going yeah this is kind of cool it's not they might be giants though but <laughs> you know but the, the other thing is is that Weird Al ended up like because I've all like he really supercharged my love of novelty music because I'd always liked you know. Like that was sort of like my int- my introduction to the idea of novelty music as a thing, and so like we would have this like local show that was kind of a Doctor Demento ripoff called uh, Music with Moskowitz, and he would play stuff, and I would end up digging it, and then I discovered Doctor Demento, even though we didn't have uh, his show in Seattle, but like he there was a uh, video co- or a video that Comedy Central played at like. 1990, 1991, I guess back then it was Ha, but whatever. And that really turned me on. And so I was kind of getting into some of the other stuff. And I ended up leaping into Barnes and Barnes, who did their, their hit as Fish Heads. Oh, that, that's a hell of a leap. Yeah. And, but the, the weird thing with this is that, and I've actually like written a lot about this, but like that it's a pity that novelty music isn't really known anymore. There aren't really there's no real outlet for it because it really preps the mind to, for kind of experimental music because um, like with Barnes and Barnes, they had built their own like drum tracks that were like out of, uh, they called it spuzzle production or uh, percussion. And it was like out of like a Lindrum and then all of these other samples that they would do and, and do live. And so it had this really weird, otherworldly sound and it sounded kind of wet in places and aside from the lindrum i don't know how they got like about like 90 percent of those sounds on the spuzzle but also um like napoleon the 14th who did they're coming to take me away haha um if you've heard that song you know at the end 
where the pitch goes up, but the tempo basically stays more or less constant. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Jerry, Jerry Samuels, who is Napoleon, that, that device did not exist until he built it to do that. He he figured out how to do it. (laughs) And there's a lot of stuff like that, that kind of shows up in novelty music. That's also in experimental music. And I think that kind of primed the pump for me. And then from Barnes and Barnes, they had done a song called, called, are you? Can you do that one again? They did a song. You got, you broke up there, which um, was the reason why, why Mark had a credit on it is it was a rewrite of, um, I desire from the Oh No It's Devo record. I got to interrupt you. Uh, when you're starting to talk about that song, you broke up completely. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, where where should I start from? Uh, Just the name of the last thing you said. Okay. Yeah. So um, with uh, Before You Leave Positive Life, I, I saw that the credits were Barnes, Barnes, and Mark Mothersbaugh. And it turns out that Mark got a credit on it because it was a rewrite using the same music as I Desire from the Oh No, It's Devo record. So I, that had piqued my interest, and I figured, you know, if anything, as a Barnes & Barnes collector, I would get this, you know, the, the record that had the other version of Before You Leave on it. And I, you know, I actually got the vinyl of it because it's a really cool sleeve, put it on the turntable, plopped it down, popped the needle down, and was blown away. And, like, basically, since, like, like probably since they might be giants, I had not felt that feeling of like, oh my god, this is everything that is and ever will be for me, and like it just sort of clicked. And I, I Devo still is my favorite band today, although I've gotten a lot of you know a lot wider, you know, with like you know the residents and oh yeah, and uh, you know the fellow the young fresh fellows. Who are mentioned in Twisting <laughs> from uh, They Might Be Giants. Um, great local band. Um, Mountain Goats, um, Typo Negative, <laughs> you know, and I've just kind of, I, I really am all over the place. And it's like kind of funny because my girlfriend will make fun of me for, you know, liking, you know, like she doesn't like much in, much in the way of dance music. And I, I really like synthesizers and stuff like that. And so she'll make fun of me for, you know, liking that's crap that's just, you know, a, you know, the same, the same phrase repeated 5,000 times. And <laughs> I have, this, I, I have, it's the same thing with me and Cassandra, um, who is my girlfriend and everything she subjected me to more or less, I like, but everything I've, I've subjected her to, she can't stand. Mm. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least with Quinn and I, we have enough, uh, enough crossover. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, cause we're both huge. They might be giants fans, of course. But uh, but there's but it's like I can kind of I can kind of I've gotten a lot better at predicting the kind of stuff that like that I like that she will like and the kind of stuff that I like that she will absolutely loathe. <laughs> so and every so often I'm wrong, but <laughs> I just I just want to mention the I remember the first time I ever heard they might be giants was in a high school physics class. I don't know what we were doing, but for some reason, the teacher, this was around 2000, yeah, 2000, the teacher threw on, uh, the sun is a massive incandescent gas. And that's not really the best place to start with They Might Be Giants when you think about it, but it got me hooked. That's all mm-hmm. I needed. <laughs> was it Was it the, the original, like, 
Yeah, the, the, the original one. Oh, wow. So, okay, we've dominated the conversation. Now it's your turn, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, so uh, my musical upbringing here. Uh, I guess I'll start with some of the first CDs that I remember owning. And by own, I, I mean selling from my dad's CD collection. Um, and those would primarily be uh, a couple of greatest hits records, particularly Queen's Greatest Hits 1 and 2. And Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' greatest hits, um, and I was familiar with Queen uh, purely because of, you know, the "We Will Rock You" and another one bites the dust and those sort of songs. But particularly because of the Bohemian Rhapsody scene in Wayne's World, which most of us should know and love. And um, indeed, indeed. And uh, so I remember my dad put that album on, and I was like, "This is the song from Wayne's World." Um, and so I, I snuck it up to my room and, and spent several hours wearing out that, uh, that CD. If you could wear out a CD, which I don't think you can. Oh, but yes, I think you I can. Tried. Yes, you can. Is it possible? <laughs> Very much so. And um, similar to what Matt was saying, I remember listening to a lot of things in, um, in the car, being driven around by my parents. My, um, my dad would put on things like Fleetwood Mac, uh, Genesis, their greatest hits record, Turn It On Again, was another big uh, early influence so to speak and uh, those were kind of the main albums of my childhood but i didn't really know what music was or why i liked it i just knew that i liked these particular songs and um i could tell that it was quality music and that there was something there but i didn't really understand why i just knew that these songs were fun to listen to and at that point i was probably you know 10 11 12 13 in uh in that age range <coughs> and then the next what really pushed me over the edge in terms of converting me to a hardcore music fan was up until that point nobody in my immediate family had played an instrument and uh, i had tried to play drums for a couple of days after i saw the movie that thing you do with tom hanks um but the music teacher in uh my middle school was old and mean and I was too shy to take lessons with him, so my drum career only lasted for a couple of days. Uh, but I did end up playing the triangle in whatever concert uh, took place at that point in the school year. So then a series of fortunate events happened um, that sort of led to my musical explorations uh, in earnest. And uh, one of them was that my, my friend Keith, who was a guitar player, still is a guitar player, he um, he took lessons in high school, and he would, had been a guitar player for a long time, and he approached one day and decided that I needed to buy a bass so that I could be in his band. And, um, you know, every kid dreams of the day where they're asked to be in a band. Not that we had a band, just that it would be the two of us in his living room. So I thought, well, that's, I thought, well, that's an interesting idea. Um, and I'll consider it. And then right around the same time, and this was my, my blown away moment, similar to what you guys were describing, is that I came home one day and uh, my dad had listener supported uh, going through the home stereo, which is a live album and DVD by the Dave Matthews Band. And similar to what you guys were describing, it just totally blew me away. Um, every aspect of it, the visuals, the carpeting on the stage, the colored lights, the dancing, the pretty girls in the audience. You know, there was a violin player and a saxophone player and there was flute and 
this music was just unlike anything I'd ever heard, and it was the greatest thing of all time up until that point, um, to that point in time. And uh, I was particularly transfixed by uh, Stefan Lassard, who's the bass player in that band. And I didn't really know the difference between bass guitar and uh, regular guitar at the time. I just knew that this one guy was playing this really big green guitar. And there was this moment uh, in one of the songs in Rapunzel, which I'll link to in the show notes, where he does this little fill during the, the climax of one of the choruses. And it was just the coolest sound and the coolest musical moment that I had experienced up until that point. And I wanted to be him so badly. So I found out later that that happened to be a bass, which is what Keith had asked me to pick up so I could join his quote-unquote band. And um, so I told my parents, and my parents were thrilled that I had an interest in something other than my Super Nintendo and um, so they proceeded to buy me a blue, the jewel blue Ibanez GSR 200, which consequently costs about $200 uh, for Christmas. And that was in uh, 2002. And I really never put it, I haven't put it down since. And um, I think that learning an instrument was really crucial to my musical development because it sort of taught me the principle of active listening. Because when you... When you're a musician, not that I was a musician at the time, I was just wiggling my fingers around. But when you're a musician, you start to look at other musicians and not see, see not just the song, but the musicians behind the song. And because I started to try to consider myself a musician, it encouraged me to start, a, to start looking and listening deeper um, and looking for more quality music and music with more depth than you might find um, typically as a 15-year-old. Um, I think I definitely wouldn't have my passion for music if I hadn't started playing bass about 10 years ago. And uh, ever since then, I've just been looking for new um, and more awesome music. And that's kind of what has led me to this point. Wow. Good story, huh? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, like, I... I fiddle around as like a musician, but I wouldn't really ever call myself that. I, it's like I, I I can bang on a guitar and bang on a keyboard and and get noises out, and right, sometimes the noises are cool. <laughs> sometimes it sounds like music. Yeah, musical noise. <laughs> well, if you want to go with the John Cage definition of music, then then it, if it's organized sound, then it is music. I just speaking of my. I've tried my hand at making electronic music now and then over the years, and, well, it's organized. <laughs> fairly. <laughs> fairly. I mean, I'm at, at the uh, at front of me on my desk here, I actually have my first ever synthesizer, my first ever real instrument, and I found it on a street corner. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. friend of mine who actually fixes digital synthesizers as a hobby, I gave it to him. He, pl- he replaced a diode, cleaned it up, and gave it back to me. And it's the cheesiest thing in the world, but I love it. That's that's cool because I, I I mean I you know even though I can't you know play any of them very well I I do kind of collect instruments. Like I mean I I just find instruments like amazing. Like I've got like in my apartment like I have um, two guitars and an accordion. You know, I'm like my own shitty. They might be giants cover band. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's. I think there's a certain. Sorry, dude. There's a. Uh, I think there's a, a 
a certain amount of mystery around instruments, especially even if you play an instrument, you might, you're probably not comfortable on other instruments other than the one that you play. And if you don't play an instrument at all, of course, there's a, there's a degree of mystery around it because you kind of wonder, you look to your musical idols and you think that these people have to have some sort of artistic mastery in order to create, you know, these sounds using this device. So instruments are kind of like the tools of the, of the musical gods, so to speak. Yeah, and I, I, the thing, like, I, I agree. And the, the thing that I find interesting is, too, is, I mean, like, even in, like, you know, ha- like, the hands, like, you know, of um, of these people, like, I mean, like, even, like, the early Ramones records, they're, you know, two power chords that, you know, pretty much anyone could play, but it sounds a lot better when they do it than when I do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No argument here. No argument here. And... I think it's I I'm I'm obsessed with synthesizers with electronics and I think it's from especially I know some people who do electronic music uh in and live and I you know, getting up nice up close view there's a uh, a local act called Void Vision which I should probably link to um and she's it's one one woman three synthesizers a sequencer and she's just by herself, just making this amazing, rich, textured music, and I can't figure out for the life of me what she's doing and how she's doing it. But there it is, and I yeah. think that's that is just that you, what you said to find this, the tools of the gods. Yeah, beyond, beyond my understanding. Totally. Thanks for setting up a nice. We have a nice little dynamic here going because I think that you guys have are much more well versed in the electronic and the dance music um, than I am, and I've always sort of leaned more towards the acoustic instruments as opposed to the electronic instruments. So I think we could get uh, some good discussion going on there, and you guys can kind of even with the the tracks that you guys selected for today's show, um, you guys have already opened my eyes to some some good stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, um, do you want to make the, you want to go do the segue into new to me and new to you, or that sounds good to me. That that that, that works. All right. Um, since I started off um, the show, I guess I'll start off with the new to me, new to you. If that's cool with you, folks. Okie dokie. Bringing it back to Rich. Okay. Yeah. We know that you're the star. <laughs> I I just had the idea. If you guys had said no, we'd be we wouldn't be anywhere. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, um, new to me is, uh, this artist named, who goes by the, the name Grimes. And I'm going to out myself here. I first came across this person, uh, on 4chan's music board. You may yell at me now if you want. <laughs> okay. Apparently, uh, there's no shame in that. Thank you. <laughs> and so I've just figured on the, on a whim, I'd check out this, a uh, song of hers called Oblivion. And I remember, yeah, 
the, the first time I heard this song, I'm just thinking to myself, well, uh, man, I'm no stranger to the sounds, but I'm trying to reconcile this, this little childlike voice, which is not something I'm, and it's alien to me. Uh, it's, it's uh, something that's been used in great effect to some other bands and artists I like, uh, Princess Chelsea, uh, who I should mention in a later episode if we do that, one of our foreign favorites. Uh, the residents have used something similar to that in their later work. But it just, the juxtaposition of this oddly childlike voice and this really lush, sometimes dark, sometimes bouncy synthesizer arrangement, it got stuck in my head. And I think that's usually the sign of something, something that's right. And the rest Definitely. of the album pretty good too. I don't, you know the the two singles, Oblivion and Genesis, are really the best parts of it. But I've gotten the rest of her discography, and it's it's really good. That's all I can say. I can't quite figure out why, but I I do like it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that um, I really enjoyed this also. And one thing that I want to just touch on is how the name of the artist and the album artwork totally belied the actual sound of the recording. Once I hit play in iTunes. Because I was thinking, you know, this artist's name is Grimes, and the album art has the skull on it, and it's in black and white, and it looks, you know, I don't even know how you would describe it. And then when I turned it on, it was this sort of pulsing, you know, upbeat, bouncy electronic music with this almost falsetto female vocalist. And I think that, you know, obviously that just goes to show you that you can't judge an album by its artwork. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, interesting dynamic. And then um, I enjoyed Oblivion, Rich. And but the song that most, um, what do you call, it, stuck out to me, was "Color of Moonlight," uh, just because of the the vocals. I don't know what she's saying. I tried to look it up, but the the lyrics apparently do not exist yet. Um, but uh, whatever she's singing, I just thought the um, the contrast between the pulsing of the electronic music in the background and and the uh, the quality of her vocals was just really cool. So I really enjoyed that that track. So thank you for uh, for passing this music along. Absolutely, I'm I'm always glad. One of the reasons why I want to do this new to me, new to you stuff is because I'm it's a sort of a fuck you to this. Uh, oh, I was into this artist before they were cool. Oh, oh you. Now, oh, they're mainstream now. They've got all the success. I can't listen to these people anymore. That I don't know how mm-hmm. prevalent that mindset is, but the fact that it even exists just drives me nuts. Yeah. Mark that for a future show. Yeah. Basically, all I have to say is if you like an artist, if you like a band, share them. It benefits the band and benefits your friends or other people, whoever. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing for me. It's like if, if I like a band, I want them to become successful because it's like a reward. It's like you know, you're doing good stuff. And wait a minute, everyone agrees too. <laughs> yeah, what you, what you, what did you think of it, Matt? Um, I'm going to out myself as the jerk of the group. <laughs> <laughs> Early on. Uh, I, um, uh, of, of all of the, the records that we uh, listened to from the, for the new to me segments, this was easily my least favorite. <laughs> oh, well, oh, well, I, I know, I know, and and I mean it's like, and it, the thing the thing that I found frustrating with it is that there was a lot that I did like, like I mean I thought I think that um, Grimes is a wonderful songwriter and producer, but her vocals were just, you know, 
just too much for me. I, I just couldn't quite take them. I mean, like, Oblivion was, a, you know, was like the, you know, the, the, the single, you know. I mean, I could totally see that that, and that was, like, one of the ones that I liked a lot more. But a lot of the album, I just, the, the, the really high-pitched kind of, kind of backing mm-hmm. that she does a lot just drove me up the wall. And it was like, I, I kind of wished that like she was, she would just, she would work with a different vocalist and, and be just go behind the boards and kind of do, you know, a, a, a Brian Wilson thing where she just gets, you know, the best at everything and then builds the track around them. Cause she's really, really good at that. But like the, the vocals, it's like, that and then when when she wasn't doing that, I thought she was kind of singing too twee. And it just it just didn't gel for me, but I really wanted to like it. Cause I mean it's like I've heard a lot of really good things about her. Uh, I mean, like Rich and I have like really in sync music tastes too, usually. Usually. Uh, but usually. But but for me, like like I just couldn't get past the the vox on it. The the vocals were just like I the the the, the note the note that I had here is that she had kind of a Joanna Newsom vibe, except that Grimes could mm-hmm. actually hit notes. <laughs> Very nice. So yeah, vocals are vocals are a picky thing. They can really make or break it for people. Do we know if um is Grimes definitely the vocalist herself? I think I'm looking at the yeah. Amazon page. I think it's just a one-woman show. Uh, this yeah, part of the week looks that's what looks that way from the Wikipedia. Yeah, because I kind of I kind of looked at the the wiki site too, just to kind of you know check and see, and it sounded like you know she basically you know put the record together herself, did like the artwork, did basically everything except for run the pressing plant, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know about that either. <laughs> yeah, who knows? You know. Yeah. But it's like one where like like I said, it's. I I disliked it so much because there was so much of it too like that it was like if it if it if it had just flat out sucked it would have been oh whatever this sucks but there's so much to want to like <laughs> yeah if we just basically if you could strip the vocals out you'd have an uh, an album that you could do definitely definitely oh. hmm. yeah, can't win them all can't win them all oh yeah and I mean I it's I was glad to hear it I mean it's you know I like listening to to new stuff it's you know it's it's what it's there for (laughs) yeah i mean that's the thing you don't really have this is what i try to tell people when i go to when i encourage them to to listen to new music is that you really have nothing to lose because if if you like it then you can enjoy it for the rest of your life and if you don't like it well you you know what did you waste five minutes ten minutes exactly yeah it's that's how I see it is it's like I, I tried something, I, I found out that I didn't really like it, and it's like, okay, I'm I'm done with Grimes, whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No hard feelings. And as for the I'm gonna do switch the new to you now, and I know you mentioned you can't really judge a record by its out by its artwork. Nah, by its artwork. Indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way I discovered the Fatima Mansions, and by extension the work of uh, their vocalist Kathleen Coughlin is I'm flipping through a used CD bin and I see this album called Timo Mancio Dumps the Dead and I bought it two bucks just because I really liked the cover. Boom. Yeah. So, okay, I have no idea what this is. It's two bucks, but it looks interesting. 
and I cook at home and I put it on and I and I just fell right in love with them. And I was very upset to find out that they had split up uh, long before I bought the CD. Uh, so <laughs> new to you uh, would be uh, I rec- I recommend all of Catholic Coughlin's over, um, except for a project of his called Bubonique, but we're not we're not going there. Uh, the Fatima Mansions uh, album uh, Lost in the Former West is um, the album that I think is the best of everything he's done so far, and the uh, track hook track from this I'm gonna it's uh, the big single the loyalizer hear a little bit of that now the little drummer boy sadly go eloquent bitches too old for the bluff game or overnight riches he meets with your pen friend to speak of your badness and compose a duet sounds like Tarzan and Callus I've been a victimizer and I've been victimized I've been a sly betrayer who has been demonized I've been the captivated by Cathal's voice but also at least especially on this one the lyrics and I think with Lost in the Former West in general I think it's an album that was really ahead of its time because a lot of the lyrical subject matter it not, it, not, it hasn't even aged it's become more relevant something like uh, with the Olympics coming up in London lockdown London I'm not even going to try <laughs> lockdown London um, being chanted and the uh Pope Mobile to Paraguay, you know, Nazi comparisons, Pope to Nazi comparisons work better when you have a German Pope who was <laughs> in the Hitler youth. Not trying to piss anyone off with that. Uh, but he kind of was. <laughs> true, true. And it just, again, I, it's it's hard to explain, but I just, the way they managed to switch from these wonderful melancholy uh, pieces on the album to this bombastic and this anger and this, it's just so much emotion and so much, uh, what's a good word for it? So much variation of emotion, so much uh, emotional, so much, much, all these emotional mood swings packed into a single record. It's like being punched in the face, but in a good way. <laughs> and you can quote me on that. What do you, what do you folks think? I, okay. Go ahead, Matt. Since uh, since I was like the jerk with the last record, I have to say that I loved this one. <laughs> the um, I I really liked uh, the Fatima Mansions record, and I was actually kind of like kind of like what you were talking about. I was a little surprised because like uh, you know, kind of from the sleeve, and you had sent me one um, video of a um, Catholic Coughlin uh, solo track. I don't remember the name of the song, but it was like the video was kind of a local TV news broadcast. Amused look. as hell. Amused as hell. Thank you. Yeah. And that one was kind of mellow. I mean, it was good, but it was, it was kind of mellow. So I was like, okay, this is like going to be a, a good, you know, kind of chillish rock band. Okay. And I put it on and it's really, really like awesomely rocky. It's like, it kind of like, um, like loyalizer was really good. But like the, the first track on there really grabbed me to uh, belong nowhere. And it actually kind of reminded me a little bit of the dirt bombs. 
who I, I don't know if, if, um, if you don't know them, they're a really cool garage rock band out of um, Detroit, I think. Oh, I've heard of them. Uh, they came to my attention when they did a split 7-inch with Adult, uh, who are also from Detroit. They're an electronic band. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they did a cover of one of Adult songs, Lost Love, and that's just, oh, wow, i got to check them out more by these. I've actually... They did a cover out a, a sp- couple Sparks covers, too, which... I found yeah. out recently. Yeah, like every album, like um, except for the covers albums, has like like at least one cover on there. I guess the cover albums have at least one too, but <laughs> but um, they, yes. yeah, they but they usually like pull like really cool songs to cover. Like uh, um, one of them has a cover of King's Lead Hat by uh, Brian Eno. Yeah, I've got that one. That's uh, Dangerous Magical Noise, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, it is. Just checked. Yeah, and then uh, there's uh, the Sherlock Holmes cover uh, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, like they have like a really cool collection. And the, the album that has this, the um, Sparks cover, it, the cover art was by Gary Panter, which is another point. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, but anyway, though, that's enough about the Dirt Bombs. We're talking about the Phantom Mansions now. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> um, but I really, really liked it. This, like, of, of the four records that weren't mine like this was my favorite which means that uh andrews are are right in the middle all right i can do that yeah but i'll 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 talk about more of them i won't spoil what they are yet so but yeah but i i really really dug uh this one and like it's kind of weird because like the kind of one of the vibes that i got from it and i felt weird about it was saying like kind of sort of faith no more which is kind of weird because, like, while I like like Patton and Mr. Bungle, and I also like Imperial Teen a lot, I don't really care for Faith No More themselves, just the bands that they kind of split off into. <laughs> but it's like, it, it, I kind of got a little bit of that vibe in there, and it kind of messed with my head. Well, they, they were contemporaries, I think. I, I mean, think so, too. I, yeah. But, but yeah, but it, there was just that kind of, I don't know, the, the 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 kind of like the little bit of adventuresomeness that was in Faith No More, but without going full on balls to the wall like you know Mr. Bungle, <laughs> and it's sort of like I don't know, but it, I just really really dug this record to the point where it's hard to actually put into words how much I dug the record. <laughs> I have the same problem. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, Rich. Thank you. I hope you liked it too. I did. I, uh, I enjoyed it a lot, and I, I definitely need to spend more time with it if I'm going to speak about the album as a whole uh, as passionately as Matt is doing. Passionately um, but, and eloquently. <laughs> exactly. Brilliantly. Um, but I did spend, I gave uh, the loyalizer a couple of lessons for the episode, a few lessons, and uh, I, I did really enjoy it. I thought it had a great, uh, a good, good, strong groove to it. And um, I also read read along read the lyrics along with the song, which helped a lot because it's sort of a it's a lyrically dense number, and um, reading along with the lyrics really helped me sort of absorb the song, kind of get my wrap my head around it. Uh, and I thought it was a great song. I would I would listen to it now if I was not unsure if you guys would hear that or not on the podcast. <laughs> um, and I, while I was listening to the record, I was reminded of sort of a gritty talking heads type feel, just in sort of the attitude 
and uh, in the music. And and I was as I was reading about the album on Wikipedia, I noticed that it coincidentally was produced by Jerry Harrison, former oh, Talking Heads guitar player. I didn't know that. Wow, I, didn't I know. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it also. I don't have as much to say about it as uh, with Grant. Just going to spend more time with it. But again, I, I'm being made aware of it. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I'm just looking it up on Wikipedia now, and yeah, wow! I've 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 been listening to this album for years, and I did not know that. That explains so much. <laughs> yeah. So, by the way, if you'd like, oh, uh, oh, go on. Sorry, and Kathal Coughlin, I think that's probably the coolest name I've ever heard. So, good job, Irish. Mm. Yeah. If you like that stuff, you you'll definitely you should check out. Um, there's some links to, uh, information about uh, Micro Disney, his first band. Um, if you're going to check it out by them, the album 39 Minutes is very good. I think it's their best. And of his solo stuff, I think his, his best solo album is, if you'll put up with me uh, double-checking here. We'll cut this out. Uh, I think his best <laughs> solo album is uh, his second one, Black River Falls. No. All right. And that's that's my new to me and new to you. Now, who wants to go next? Should I go next? Sure, why All not? All right. Yeah. All right, I'll go next. So we're starting with new to me, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, so my pick for new to me this week is uh, an album called Tramp by Sharon Van Etten. And this is an album that I found out about through the Aquarium Drunkard blog. And I'll put the article to this album, uh, to this track in the show notes. And the track that I really want to highlight is, is the first song, Warsaw. And it's a really beautiful song. It's very short and concise. I really enjoy her voice. This is the first time I'm hearing of her. And I think it's a great opening track. It really sets the tone for the whole album. And... I think it succeeds in drawing you in as an intro as an intro track, which I think is an important role for track one to play. And uh, I've only really processed about half of this record so far, uh, to the point where I'm comfortable talking about it. But um, I just think the the parts the parts that I've heard so far have been really strong, and I think that this track is a great lead off to it. And as far as female vocalists go, I think she's got a she's got a great voice. And the um, there's sort of a heartbreaking tone to it that I really enjoy. And she's kind of crying out for wanting to get over you. And it, it speaks to me for some reason. Uh, so I have to know what you guys thought about it. Uh, I'll let you go first, Matt. Okay. Um, for me, I, I actually first saw uh, her on a- the AV Club Undercover. Like she did a cover of um, Stop Dragging My Heart Around with uh, Shearwater. And that, that's in the show notes, too, that link there. Um, basically, I, I dug it. it she kind of reminds me a bit of um, Khaki King. I don't know if you know her, but she's another, um, like, a really good guitarist. But she does a lot mm. of kind of, 
atmospheric kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I think this one is kind of a grower. Like it's, it, it's one of those ones that it, like, it didn't like immediately like grab me and say like, listen to this. Yeah. But, but I could kind of see it as one of those things where you, you live with it for a while and then all of, and you know, it, it ends up really growing on you, I guess. And just kind of snagging you in over time. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Cause I mean, I've had this record for probably a month or two now and I'm still haven't gotten all the way through it just because I'm kind of taking it slowly. So I agree with you there. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's, I think it's good, but it's not like, it's one that didn't like completely like kick my ass like the, the Fatima mansions did, but I still, I, I dug it. I dug it. Now it's my turn to be the jerk and I'm sorry, but I'm going to be a little more charitable than, than, than rat was to Grimes. Cause I'm, it, I, 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 I feel like a jerk. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's, it, I, I, there's nothing I don't battle that I just that I actively dislike, but I just maybe it's it. Matt says it, it's kind of a grower, so maybe I have to just give it a, sure. a few more tries. But I'm just, it's okay. She sings well. She plays well. I'm not really sure. I like the the low the lo ness of the recording. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an aesthetic that I'm really not really not all that fond of. I mean, I've, I've only just I've listened finally for the first time to Guided by Voices uh, B thousand like a few like a month or so ago, and yeah, you know, again that's that's lo-fi in a different way. And I, for that, it sort of works. For this, I don't know. It just feels like I'm losing something. I I'm gonna I'm not gonna get rid of it. I'm gonna give it another try, a couple more tries before I. But just, I'm just not, I'm not really feeling this one. Hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, we'll get to morphine in a little while, but it's not, I agree, it's not a, a high energy track that really just hooks you right away. You do have to kind of spend some time with it and kind of get to know the song a bit. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, as for morphine. Should we move on to my new to you selection? Indeed. Please do. All right. <laughs> okay, so uh, my new to you selection for this episode is the album Yes by a band called Morphine, uh, which was around from 1989 to 1999. They're from, they are, are from Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I heard about this record, I heard about this band uh, through Les Claypool, not personally, but um, I listened to a podcast with some of his, uh, where he talked about some of his favorite albums. And he mentioned this one in particular. And so I downloaded, I think I bought uh, a record or two when I was a freshman in college. And this is another band that just blew me away right from the start. And I was like, I am going to love this band forever. And one of the things that really makes Morphine stand out is the instrumentation, which is very unique. It's a trio. And Mark Sandman is the vocalist who's got great baritone vocals, and he plays a two-string slide bass, which is obviously very unique as well. And then you've got uh, baritone sax and drums. So you've got sort of this, it's almost like a power trio, but without the guitar um, and with saxophone instead of the guitar. And the way that the band described their sound was uh, they classified it as low rock which I think really is a fitting description because it's very sultry. It's got, uh, it's really groovy. You got those baritone vocals. It's sort of a, a minimalist sound, but it's also really thick. Even though there's just, there's just the three of them. They've got a really thick sound and uh, 
it could have, I think the instrumentation could have come off as a sort of gimmick, but they managed to make some really great records and some really catchy songs. Um, and they still manage to provide a sense of melody, even though they have all of these, uh, these low frequency instruments. And this is a band that really benefits from listening with headphones because the music, because it is so deep, um, both in terms of tone and in terms of uh, quality, I guess you could say, the music really kind of swallows you up and uh, it's really enjoyable. So anyway, I picked Yes because I think it's probably their strongest album. I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite album of theirs, but I think it's a good uh, balance of accessibility and great songwriting. And every track is really strong, but Honey White obviously is going to be my pick for uh, for the hook track for new listeners because it's got that great open sax riff and that tremendous bass groove and the vocals are fantastic and it's just really catchy. I think it's one of those rare songs where you tell immediately whether you're going to like this band or you're not going to like this band. Like once you've got opening sax riff, if you don't like that sort of sound, you know, then you'll probably not going to like morphine. But if that hook, that saxophone hook catches you right away, then you've got a bunch of albums to look forward to, uh, to investing in. So that's my, uh, my quick take on morphine. So do you guys want to know what you guys thought? Well, um, I love that opening saxophone riff, and I've loved every- and I loved everything I heard after it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it, I don't know what it is about, but it, it conjures up these images of what you imagine from the pop culture, what rock and roll was like when it was new in the fifties. Like this, it just conjures up images of me of like tough ass ki- kids in leather jackets with switchblades. <laughs> But I, I think it's I think it's the sax. It's that low tone. It just it just makes you want to put a lot of product in in your hair and put on a leather jacket and go ride on a motorcycle somewhere and drink lots of whiskey. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I yeah. was I I loved the hell out of this. Well, I'm glad bass tends to bass as a frequency and as an instrument is kind of is subtle because it's a support role. You know, as a bass player, your job is always to make the vocalist sound good or to make the solo sound good. So when you have the bass kind of in the forefront like this, I think it's really refreshing a lot of times. Definitely. I'd love to know what Matt's taking Okay, me too. Uh, before I start, I'm, I, I actually have a morphine story. That's cool. Oh. Okay. Um, basically, like, um, when I was about, I don't know, 13-ish, I, I mean, I don't remember when the record came out, but it was... Uh, um, my dad wanted cure for pain for Christmas because, mm. because I think, I think he'd heard, um, whatever the, the, the single was on the radio and he, he really, buena, yeah. and he, well, anyway, he probably, you know, probably heard it on the radio and was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. I really want it. So, you know, he told us and, um, I think mom found a copy and, and got it for him. So on Christmas day, he opens it up and he's like, Oh, cool. You know, the morphine record I wanted it. And then I was curious and mom was curious because neither of us had heard it. So we asked him to put it on and we did. And 
Like from like the first like horn blast, mom and I are just like, what the fuck is this garbage? (laughs) (laughs) And we like kind of shamed dad and he like was all like, yeah, I guess it's not that great. Cause he kind of wanted to fit in. Yeah. And, and, but, um, so anyway though, so like, that's basically like how I kind of thought of morphing. I had listened to them until a couple days ago when I was doing this for the, for the podcast. And as it turns out, morphine are pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I love like the, the grooves are really, really cool. I mean, like, like you, I mean, I, I like the, you know, the, the bass frequency a lot. And I mean, I love that it's like, you know, the Barry sax and the bass and the drum. Um, and, it, and it doesn't surprise me that like uh, Claypool um, loves this record because it seems like it would be right up his alley anyway. But yeah. one of the songs actually, Sharks, I don't know if you guys got to that. I, I love Sharks. That was one of the ones that, that really I actually... Reminds, um, yeah, that one really reminds me of sort of Claypool type uh, song. Yeah, I mean, like, Sharks was one of the ones I actually, like, tigged out as being awesome. So it was like, like, I, I kind of got, like, kind of a Tom Waitsy kind of vibe, too. Like, the, uh, like, a Hang On St. Christopher. And it's, like, really too bad that um, Mark Sandman had to pass away. Because, I mean, it would have been great to hear uh, Tom Waits and Morphine together. Yeah. So, uh, as a postscript, I did send my dad an email saying that I was wrong. And... I know it was like 16 years too late, but he, he, he replied with C. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an awesome story. Yeah. Uh, Cure Pain was the first album that I heard of morphine and, um, you know, you've got that intro track and then once the, the bass groove of, you know, kicks in that I was just hooked from that moment on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really cool. That's a good story. Well, I, just, I know where I'm going uh, for my next uh, morphine fix. Uh, <laughs> okay, pun, in, pun intended on that one. I, I couldn't not. Well do done, that. sir. <laughs> so that brings right. us to. That brings I guess us to it's, Matt. it's yeah. my turn. Um, I guess I'll do the uh, new to me one first. Um, and that one, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, for, for whatever reason i was just having a trouble thinking of a good one but i remember um so anyway with I'll, I'll start with the uh new to me thing because i was having trouble thinking of a good one for that and so what i like ended up doing was um going with something that came up on my ipod because a lot of times i'm well basically i'm a music collector and a lot of times like people will send me stuff and i'll just kind of squirrel it away and i think it's kind of a uh, side effect of working in radio um, so I, I'll do that. And then what I'll do is like with my iPod is I'll usually like load it up about like, you know, like half, three quarters of stuff that I really like. And then the other uh, half or quarter will be just, you know, random filler kind of stuff just so I can kind of hear some of that stuff that's in my library, you know, that I wouldn't necessarily seek out, but it'll pop up. And this track was one of them. And it is the, uh, the vinyl version of the song called Jewel by Pro- the band Propaganda. Um, and that is uh, basically, they were a band that I don't know a whole heck of a lot about. I basically like Googled them, you know, right before this podcast, really. So I'd, I'd know a little bit of what I was talking about. But they were on the ZTT label, which had a lot of cool stuff. Uh, that was Trevor Horn's right, label. Right, right, right. 
And so that kind of made sense because it was really, really cool. <laughs> and, but it's like this really cool song with like this like really great B. And let, let, let's like uh, play a little bit of it right now. Um, and if you notice in that, that, um, that little bit of there, there's like, um, you get this like really cool pounding rhythm and then this like really awesome hook on the keyboard. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. That really awesome hook comes in about two thirds of the way through the song. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this, like kind of like, I mean, it's like so catchy and it's so kind of perversely. So that, that there, you know, you, you know, you have like a three minute song and you only have a minute of the hook and the rest of it is samples and this really weird drum beat that kind of sounds like the drum riff on a helicopter by XTC only through like this like industrial uh, drum machine. And I just thought it was like really, really cool. And it was like, I like ended up like running home because I like a lot of times I'll have my um, iPod out when I'm out and about. And so I ended up like like hurrying home so I could look up and see what it was. So, and that that's what it was. And I was like, "This is awesome." So that that's my uh, new to me, even though it's all the way from 1982, <laughs> or maybe 85, whatever. <laughs> so, what did you guys think? <laughs> well, I I didn't really have I don't have much to say about this track. I enjoyed it. Um, and again, I don't listen to very much electronic or dance music. Um, and this is one of those songs, and granted, I only have listened to it a handful of times so far, but this is one of those one of those songs where I enjoy it while I'm listening to it, but sitting here talking to you guys, I can't tell you how it goes. Um, which isn't to say that I won't you know, memorize it or develop more of a relationship with the song as I listen to it more. But uh, as of right now, it was a great track while I was listening to it um, and I don't want to say it's not memorable because that sounds like a negative thing but I think because it is instrumental and because it is a dance track and or a dance genre um, and because you know it's lots of repeated phrases and, and synthesizer type stuff I, uh, I need to spend some more time with this one as well but I agree with your choice of the hook Matt because that growl on the keyboard is totally badass yeah, I just love the sound of that one. So, I I have much the same opinion as Andrew. I, it, I'm trying to think of it, and it's just it's my it did my my brain just didn't catch catch something to hook onto except mm-hmm. for that hook. And it it's interesting that you mentioned it, you know that comes like so late in the song because the, um, the clip I use from Oblivion has this great synth hook that also comes in like near like halfway two thirds of the way into the song in the, in the clip I'm, I used. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's not that unusual of a trick apparently. Well, I'm always like kind of reminded of, um, and she was by uh, talking heads, which has like the coolest guitar lick ever about 20 seconds from the end. 
<laughs> the, the one that yeah. Weird Al built Dog Eat Dog off of. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm curious to check out more of Propaganda. It, it's one of those bands up here that more, there's more harder edge synths, proto-industrial electronic bands like Art of Noise that I've been meaning to sort of start getting more mm-hmm. into, or at least try. And I just haven't gotten a chance to yet. Yeah, maybe a little bit of like Fad Gadget too from the the Mute label. Yeah, I've got I've got uh, this great uh, multi disc collection of Mute singles from 1978 to 1982. Oh, cool. And there's there's some Fad Gadget. Yeah, on Fad there. Gadget was actually their first yeah. signing that wasn't the guy who owns Mute. I mean, but that that collection is what actually got me into Depeche mm. Mode. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, and and it's that's kind of the cool thing with like when you had labels like that that were that weren't just labels but curated. Yeah. Okay. So, um. Yeah, I think we're ready for the new to, to okay. new to you or new to yeah, yeah new, to you. <laughs> new to us <laughs> yeah new to y'all y'all. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> um, the the one I choose for new to you is uh, a guy that I've like on, I've only been kind of aware of for the past couple of years, but I just like kind of fell in love with. Uh, and it's uh, a fellow named Peter Ivers. Um, and basically, you probably don't think you know him, but if you've seen Eraserhead, you do, because he's the fellow who wrote and is singing. Uh, in heaven, everything is fine. The lady in the ra- uh, lady in the Raider head, the the la- <laughs> I can't talk today. The lady in the radiator song. <laughs> so um, so and that's actually you know Peter Ivers wrote the melody, Lynch wrote the lyrics to that, and Peter sang it over or uh, with uh, Laurel near lip syncing as the lady in the radiator. Um. Like there's actually like a a biography of uh, Peter Ivers called uh, "In Heaven Everything Is Fine," uh, and it's really fascinating because he ran with a lot of cool people. Like, as, and aside from being you know awesome himself, but he um, was like close friends with like the the group that launched National Lampoon. Um, he like knew a lot of like like actors and actresses like Stockard Channing. Um, like the songwriter uh, Linda Perry, who's made a lot of terrible records, unfortunately, but <laughs> um, you know, four non blondes, and then a lot of like the Britney Spears singles and stuff that she wrote. But um, but um, he and well, then he also hooked up with like David Lynch, and uh, he was, his the thing that he's also known for is a. Um, show called uh, New Wave Theater, which was on Night Flight, which was a late night block of programming on, I think, the USA Network back in the 80s. And, like, there was a lot of, like, really influential bands there. And, in fact, it was, like, uh, Peter Ivers, although this was through his records, that uh, gave uh, Jello Biafra the courage to uh, sing in his own band because, um, as you probably have noticed, uh, Peter Ivers has a little bit of a unusual voice. Um, it's I, and I, I fully admit that it is a bit of a um, acquired taste, but it's it's I, I, I quite like his voice, and he was a phenomenal uh, harmonica player. 
So I chose his uh, debut for, for uh, the Warner Brothers record label uh, called Terminal Love. And the track that I chose, which you will hear now, is Holding the Cobra. Okay. Um, thing with holding the cobra that I love is there. I mean, the entire thing has this kind of like slinky, sleazy kind of feel musically, and then you have the the lyrical hook, which you know references Sigmund Freud and like uh, Robert Reich and like other you know like really kind of heady people, and the 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 intro is you know. Uh, you wanted a song, baby, just for you. Um, like the next one, baby, you can write yourself. And it's just sort of, it's, it has this like really dark, but funky feel to it. And also there's also the harmonica going throughout too. And that's one of the things with the Peter Ivers records is a lot of times you'll like, hear something and not realize it's harmonica, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so now that I've, I've, rambled incoherently about how awesome Peter Ivers is. Um, how awesome do you think Peter Ivers is? Go ahead, Rich. All right. I, well, first of all, I know you mentioned his voice. Maybe it's me. I just, I might be listening to the, either the right or the wrong things, but I didn't have any problem with his voice. I didn't notice anything out about it at all, but that's because I probably, I listened to stuff like Per Ubu and, uh, the residents and I like the shags which we could probably do a whole show about that on its own. Um, this was, this was nothing. <laughs> His vocals are just fine. I have no problem with this. That's it. Oh, this is really good stuff. Uh, I, I need to spend more time with the record. I've only listened to it a couple times, but it's really, really good. Um, it's, it's just, it's out there enough, uh, that I'm just wondering what the hell's going on, but it, there's this there's enough grounding there too that you can really get comfortable. I could I could probably play this for someone or at least a couple songs from it without having them go, "What the hell is that?" for at least two three minutes. Yeah, and it it's kind of funny because like um like um I think that's the record that has Wadi Wachtel playing guitar on it, and the second album um, was produced by Gary Wright, the you know the Dreamweaver guy. Oh, and wow. uh, um, Carly Simon actually sings backup on one of the songs on the second record, the second Warner Brothers record. Oh, yeah, wow. and the the weird thing is, is like the first two records for Epic, one of which was never released, but they're like really hardcore jazz records. So it's like kind of weird. Like it's like one where it's like I actually like gave those ones to my friend Dale, who's a hardcore like jazz head, um, and I I think like he would like the pop records, the two pop records for Warner brothers. But I, I think, you know, I am pretty sure he loves, you know, the, the, the jazz ones, but it's that same kind of off kilter approach. Just, just with jazz versus, versus pop. 
I'm really curious to hear what Andrew has to say about this one. <laughs> well, really curious. Is this your jerk record? <laughs> I would, no, I would absolutely not call it my jerk record. Um, I think that this was probably my least accessible out of all the tracks that I listened to for today's show. Um, I found it to be a really enjoyable record. I thought it was it was fun. It was kind of jaunty. Um, and as far as the vocals go, I agree with Rich. I didn't. I definitely considered his vocals to be unique right off the bat. Um, so that's never been a problem for me because a lot of times the bands that I gravitate to most have the unconventional vocalists like Les Claypool. Dave Matthews has an unconventional voice. Um, Getty Lee has an unconventional voice. Anything, and I think that's a crucial part of having a unique sound because I can't tell you how many, I don't even know what genre they are, how many bands on certain stations of radio I cannot distinguish from one another. And I have a pretty good ear for music, I feel. Um, but a lot of these uh, sort of pop punk bands um, from a couple of years ago, I, I really can't distinguish them. And obviously I'm not a fan of those bands and a fan would definitely be able to distinguish them. But, but anyway, um, weird unconventional vocals are no obstacle for me either. So I enjoyed his vocal. And as for holding the Cobra, I agree, Matt, with your hook again. Um, the I don't know if it was the bridge or the chorus or what you would call it, but the it don't take Sigmund Freud to tell that woman what to avoid. I thought that part of the song was a really great hook. And just, and again, sort of like Jewel, I can't really tell you how this song goes immediately off the top of my head, but I know that I liked that song, that part of the song. So I want to go back and listen to the track uh, and the album, if just for that part. Cool. So it was good. Yeah, because yeah, that's that's pretty much the chorus. I, I just want to include a little bit of the harmonica solo, just because I mean he is so known for harmonica. Yes. So it's sort of like, mm -hmm. and it's a pretty awesome solo. <laughs> pretty awesome oh yeah yeah and that's an edit of the solo folks so you know if you want more go 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 get the record which actually is in print yeah. like um a label called wounded bird um has put out all the peter's I peter ivers stuff including like the lost second epic record which is awesome the second jazz jazz one nice oh, there you go yeah unfortunately i think yeah i'm the only one who actually gave us a, an out of print record for a pick so yeah. Way to go, Rich. <laughs> well, we, we could, maybe that's something we can table for another time about the ethics of uh, downloading out-of-print albums. Yeah. Ooh. Copyright infringement. <laughs> Copyright infringement is your best entertainment value. Yes, we're going to definitely talk about negative <laughs> at some point in the next Because uh, <laughs> I... I'm gonna take. I'm gonna step on a limb. I'm. I'm pretty sure, Andrew, you have never heard anything like Negative Land. Probably not. I haven't heard of most of the artists that you guys have referenced today, so I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> well, no, you you certainly thrown a few curveballs at me already. Mm -hmm. So off to a good start then. Yeah, I think we're good. Uh, the only other thing uh, we probably should mention: this isn't really a new show, but uh, you know, uh, Adam Yosh, uh, MCA of the BC Boys, passed away just uh, recently. So. That's that does bear mentioning. So. Yeah, very sad news. It's and it's it's one of the things that I've kind of noticed from talking with people is like, you know, like it seems that like almost everyone is to some extent a Beastie Boys fan. Like, 
Like, I mean, even if you don't have any of the records, you're, you're at least like a well-wisher. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you, you people tend to like, you know, know like Sabotage or Fight for Your Right or, or Intergalactic or, you know, any of those like really yeah. great singles. So, it, and the thing is too, is like, I mean, the Beasties, you know, always seemed like, like really affable dudes. Like, I don't know, I always got the impression that you could probably just kind of, like, hang with the Beasties. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, like, the impression that they gave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've been on my list of stuff to really, of a band to really check out more. And just this afternoon, I was listening to Paul's Boutique, which I've had, for, but never really gave a listen to. I didn't get a chance to finish it, unfortunately. Uh, but what I heard, you know, finally giving it a proper, a good, serious listen for the first half it, I mean, it's it's given me the incentive to really go back and and get back and try again mm-hmm. to get more into them. Yeah, and there's like um a record that they did of instrumental stuff um in sound from way out, which is actually like kind of cool and kind of not necessarily what you'd expect from the Beasties either, which is kind of like huh. And. I know I knew about that record. I didn't know it was all instrumental, but I, it caught my attention because I'm a big fan of early electronic pop, uh, and it's the, the shares its name with an album by I think it's I don't know if it's a solo album by John Jack Perry or if it was by Perry and yeah, Kingsley. Yeah, I think it's Perry Kingsley. I think could be wrong. Yeah, Perry and Kingsley. It, Perry and Kingsley, and that might be something for another show as a new to you because that's that shit is it out is there. it, but but in a great way. Oh, definitely. Um, so we, I think that's been about roughly an hour. I don't know we've we've had a few starts and stops because Skype <laughs> sucks. Yeah, so it's it's probably close enough to an hour anyway. Mm-hmm. So, with that, um, any last words? I think everyone should follow us on Twitter. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm. I thought this was so bloody clever when I picked it. Sans Point. S-A-N-S-P-O-I-N-T. And I'm also at sanspoint.com. Um, I am at Kitty Sneezes. K-I-T-T-Y S-N-E-E-Z-E-S. And I am also at kittysneezes.com. And also I have a Tumblr, but, you know, that's basically if you want to see, like, gifts of giant eggs or whatever random crap I find. It's the bonus material. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Everybody can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Marvin, M-A-R-V-I-N, and you guys can find me online also. My website is andrewmarvin.net. Yep. And you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes very soon. We're not on there yet because this is only the first episode. You can uh, check out all the show notes at crushonradio.com. And you'll find other cool stuff that we post there. It's an active blog, and feel free to get out and reach out and get in touch with us. There's a contact form on there as well. Say hi, and tell us how much we suck. Get enough uh, comments, <laughs> and follow the. But be nice about Follow it. the Crush on Radio Twitter too at Crush on Radio. Yeah. Until uh, next week. Uh, this has been Crush on Radio. Thank you very much. Thanks, Have a guys. Good-
Mom says, Rover's days are through. She's going to throw him in the stew. Dead puppies aren't much fun.